this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. With me today, we have Tracy. Good morning. We've got Eric. Hey, everyone. We've got Karen. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. How was everybody's week? Good. It was, it was uh, yeah, starting to get busy again. Yeah. Well, we've got some good news in my household. This week, my wife had her last radiation treatment. Amen. Awesome. So now she, yeah, so now she gets to heal up from that, and that actually... Actually, that's been worse than any of the chemo or anything before. She's got a pretty nasty radiation burn on her chest that she's trying to get healed up. But they've got her on some medication for that, and uh, hopefully that'll that'll clear up. But So now it's just a matter of medications and shots for a few years, but uh, no more of the really nasty, icky stuff. Just uh, moving forward and hopefully staying cancer-free. Yep. Well, All I r- had some good news this week, but it was way less dramatic than that. I got my final grades back on all of my stuff that I finished up last week and turned in for my quarter. And I aced everything. Yay. Nice. I was going to mess with you and say only three Ds. (laughs) No, bad. (laughs) No, like one of my assignments was so big. Like the, the, it had all these different moving parts. I had to do a 10 minute video presentation. I had to draft up a couple of legal forms and I had to uh, write my, my final paper for that class was a minimum of 25 pages. So like that was, it was a huge, it was just a huge amount of work. Yeah. And I, I couldn't believe I, I, like I knocked it out of the park. I got a hundred on it. And my teacher was like, my professor was like, I'm going to miss your insightful humor next quarter. And this is marvelous work. And you're going to be a huge asset to this field and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, yes. Awesome. Yay. Awesome. Thanks. I, I, yeah, I like to think that going back to school as an adult would make it easier than when I was a kid, or that I would be more dedicated, I should say, than when than Later. as. But I don't know that I'd have the the patience and tenacity to stick to it. I get I get distracted by other things too quickly. I would say this. I would say if you go back to school as an adult, you're more interested in it because you yeah. are choosing to do it for specific reasons, and therefore you invest better. Therefore, your results are better. Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah, I would imagine. All right. Well, speaking of studying, we're going to segue right into the book of Leviticus this week. How was that for a segue? Did you like that? That was weird. Smooth. <laughs> is, it a, is it a good segue when you point out that it's a segue? <laughs> now to segue. All right. So the book of Leviticus, the, the Hebrew name for this uh, book was, and I'm going to butcher this, I know, but it was Wayikra, I think, something like that. It's and it was translated, and he called. So I take that to mean that this is kind of God's calling for the Israelites to come to worship. And this, uh, the whole book, is basically how he wanted to worship, how he wanted them to serve, and and specific ways to obey. And we're going to find that there's lots of different aspects that it that it hits on in this book. We're going to start out today with things specifically about temple services and things they did in there and how they were supposed to do these things. But we're going to find things about all kinds of um, life for the Hebrews, health issues, um, you know, what to eat, how to find diseases, uh, all kinds of interesting things for a different time when they had a much different medical, well, I don't know. They really didn't have a medical system. So this was kind of, you know, setting things up. But 
But uh, today is we're going to work through chapters one through seven, and this is specifically about offerings made in the temple. Now, the first thing it jumps right in and talks about what it calls the burnt offering, and I don't I don't exactly know all the differences between all the offerings because here we have the burnt offering, but then later on we have a sin offering, and pretty much everything ends up on the fire at some point um, in this in these chapters, but they call this one specifically the burnt offering. And it starts out by saying the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him. So this is all being coming directly from God. And, and uh, he's been given uh, very specific instructions on how to do this. And maybe that's where the title comes from. And he called, because a lot of times these old, these older old Testament books, they would be named after the first word or first, uh, phrase in the book but now it doesn't come right out and tell us exactly why they would make this offering in as a difference to other offerings other than in verse four it says it's to make atonement so i'm taking this to be for atonement for sin although we do have a, a different sin offering later but we'll get to that now these offerings were meant to come from livestock so uh, cattle. I don't remember if this one had different, you know, things from the from from uh, flocks like sheep and goats. Yeah, because there's provision in here. Um, you can do a bull, which would be yes, the most yes. expensive. Then you can do a lamb or goat. Mm -hmm. And then for the poor, there's the option for uh, a bird. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was something I really liked about this. Was God's insight into this that. Uh, just because you might be poorer than somebody else didn't put you in a position of not being able to seek forgiveness. Now, you would have to offer, or you were supposed to offer, an animal without blemish. So I take that to be, you know, no cuts and bruises. Um, the coloring should be, um, oh, what word am I looking for? Um, as expected. Yeah, yeah, as expected, yeah. Yeah, without without variations, you know, like if it's going to be a white lamb, it's going to be white. It's not going to have weird brown spots on it. And but hey, uh, hey, hey, oh hey, <laughs> Karen, did you get out in the sun this week? I'm just saying, sometimes freckles are naturally occurring, and you can't help them. <laughs> Fine, I'll never be a sacrifice. This is established. Okay, okay, I am blemished. <laughs> now. One thing that I learned reading this that I hadn't really noticed before is that it seems like the person who's offering the sacrifice is the one who kills it. I always had it in my mind that you would kind of take this thing to the priest and the priest would kill it. You might have to be right there. But it seemed to me like the person offering the sacrifice would be the one who would kill it. Like they would put their hand on the animal. I'm assuming they would probably slit its throat and, and uh, you know, it'd be a relatively quick death, but it would have to be the person offering the sacrifice who did that. Did you guys take it that way? Well, that's not what happens with the bird. That's true. It, it might depend on what the offering is for because I think, like for example, my guess would be, and I would have to actually specifically compare this, but my guess would be that the priests do the sin offering because they're priests and they're supposed to be the intermediary. I don't know, man. I, I didn't even compare the different offering styles with that in mind yeah, like a lot sure. of yeah. a lot of the styles seem to be similar 
Yes. Right. Not not exactly because it would make it sometimes it would make a difference of what exactly got burned. Sometimes yeah. it was the whole animal. Sometimes it was parts of the parts. animal. Yeah. Um. And and they and were sometimes you had to, to wash the insides. The yeah. Insides. Yeah. Strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so verses 4 and 5, it's talking about, He shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering. It will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood. So I took, I really took that to be that the person offering the sacrifice, if, if in this case, it would be a, it would have, you know, like a bull, then the, then the person offering the bull would be the one to kill it. But then if you bring a bird, maybe it's just for, um, sake of ease that you hand the bird to the to the priest and the priest is the one who kills the bird and i don't know one thing i do know is in my in my mind through reading through these chapters this week you know we've talked about how beautiful the sanctuary was but there is a lot of blood involved with these sacrifices yes and that blood that blood is getting sprinkled all over things it's getting dumped out you know, it's being drained right there at the altar of burnt offering. It was, it was, it seems to me that over time, this is probably going to build up and be really gruesome looking in there. Is that how yeah, you see it? I don't know how much is like just dumped all around and how much of this is sprinkling, you know, is, is kind of a symbolic thing. But that actually is one of the notes that I had for this chapter too. Now, we haven't gotten to it here in Leviticus, but there is a point at which the sanctuary is cleansed and they prepare for the Day of Atonement. And so yeah. you're right. This does build up. And it's interesting because it appears to be that the sins of the people, although they are forgiven for the people, they reside within the tabernacle. And the tabernacle itself must undergo a cleansing and the priests before that. And so these things, it's, I, I've always pictured it kind of like a credit card. They're coming in, and on several levels, I think this is the case. They're swiping the credit card and they're saying, okay, I'm going to receive forgiveness now and it'll be paid for later, right? So they receive the forgiveness at that time. They get mm -hmm. to leave the, the, uh, the tabernacle forgiven but their sins are still not completely forgiven Does that make sense they they mm -hmm. they are not charged with the sin anymore but the sin still exists mm -hmm. and that exists in the tabernacle until the day of atonement cleans that out mm -hmm. and then what's interesting is that we find i believe it's in daniel with the book of daniel that there is a heavenly um, atonement that happens because remember all of this is a shadow of what's happening in heaven mm -hmm. is that these things are credited to them as forgiven but at some point they need to be paid and i think it would be it's we can't get into leviticus without for without remembering that this is essentially the children of israel and not just israel anyone who did these is basically buying their forgiveness on credit God is yeah. saying, I'll forgive you, but the method of that payment hasn't happened yet. Because either there is something magical about killing a lamb and sprinkling its blood, and that act is a magical act that forgives them, or 
it is symbolic of something else that will happen that actually forgives them. Yeah. And I, ha I believe it's the latter. That this is symbolic of sins basically accruing on a credit card, if you will, and Jesus himself pays for that in full with his blood. And then the book of Hebrews unpacks that and says he is still in the heavenly sanctuary presenting his gift, his blood, like we see here, we see the literal lamb, sheep, you know, bulls and birds. There's their literal blood being presented that Jesus in the holy, in the, in the temple, the heavenly sanctuary throughout the whole book of Hebrews is interceding for his people and presenting his own blood. And at some point that too will be a done deal. And then it's all over. Mm -hmm. I know that's a really long uh, thread to follow through, but it's there. I mean, it's, Let's think back to Genesis when the very first they're given clothes, which it doesn't say explicitly that that was a sacrifice, but animals died. You know, maybe that was a sacrifice. Maybe it was after that that was instituted. But we have Cain and Abel who didn't receive any of these Levitical laws as, you know, in the book of Leviticus, but they're presenting offerings, mm -hmm. you know. Abel shows up with someone with a sheep from his flock. Where'd that come from? Well, he got introduced to it, I believe, by God. Yeah. Everything is pointing forward to, to Jesus coming in and providing the ultimate sacrifice. Everything's looking forward to that point. And, and beyond, I would propose, because we've got Jesus, he ascends to heaven. And then we've got the book of Hebrews saying he's not just in heaven swinging a hammer building these homes, you know. <laughs> is mm -hmm. he is he is active in as our high priest in the heavenly tabernacle and then in revelation we see all kinds of i don't understand all of it but it's pretty undeniably there we see all kinds of tabernacle imagery along with high priest imagery and it all because remember at the very 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 end jesus is standing in front of the most holy place, holding the censer, which is the prayer of the saints. And when he throws that down, that's when that's when all the seams come apart. And that's the second coming. That's where that that literal thing initiates. So we have this tabernacle. We have these things happening all the way from from sacrifices and, and burnt offerings in Genesis all the way to the very last events that happen in Revelation. And so th that's why this stuff matters. Right, yeah. All this is pointing to Jesus, and that's it's yeah. going to be uh, important for us to remember that going through, because all of this then got done away with at the cross. Beyond this, I don't know that Christians were continuing to make any of these sacrifices, uh, even though they were still basically... Uh, Jewish sect, if you want to call it that, but they seem to recognize that these sacrifices were no longer necessary because they'd been fulfilled on the cross. And so, yeah. as, as we go as we go forward with with these, we have to keep that in mind that all these things are pointing to something that is represented by Christ's sacrifice and service in in the in the heavenly yeah in the heavenly temple.
so they, they they were given very specific instructions on how to do things. This for some reason the animal was supposed to be killed on the the north side of the altar. So they would get killed right there next to that that altar of burnt offering, but on the north side. And you have to remember that the the door of the of the sanctuary faced east. So this was always in the same position, no matter where they went. They were moving the sanctuary around for 40, well, I guess not 40, but 38 years, because when they first started it, I think it was the first month of the second year that they were uh, in the out in the wilderness. But they were, it was supposed to be skinned, it was supposed to get cut up, the entrails and the legs would get washed, and the entire animal would get burned on this altar. Now, if we skip forward here a bit to Leviticus chapter 6, where he have the law of the burnt offering, so this is, you know, God's telling him to do it, and then later on he's telling him exactly how to do it. This fire was supposed to be kept going all the time. They weren't ever supposed to let this fire go out. So on that altar would constantly be flames. And the priest would put on special garments for uh, just for removing the ashes. So they would burn it. The next morning they would go. They would go to clean it up. And they would put on a special garment just to remove the ashes from that altar. Then they would change their clothes again. They would take the ashes out of the camp. And they would they would dump them in what they called a clean place. I don't know exactly what the clean place entailed, but it's not like they just took it, you know, away and just just indiscriminately just tossed it out. It was that was still part of this ritual. Now the second offering that is described here is what they call the grain offering. What did you guys take the grain offering's purpose to be? Because it doesn't seem like this is offered for sin. It almost seemed to me more that it was just offered. It's just an offering. You know, just like here, I'd like you to have this type thing. Hey, Tracy, I'm looking at you because I don't have the answer. <laughs> right. I Honestly, I, when I was reading this, the, all the offerings to me, just it just pointed towards being another like I've said before, just order. There was order to everything, but there was a lot of offerings. I have no idea. <laughs> I, yeah. I, you know, the, the sort of theme that rose, I, did, I didn't, um, obviously something like a sin offering. There was one called the fellowship offering, which in other places was called a peace offering, depending which translation you read, which was, I didn't really understand. But like the, the theme that sort of emerged from all of these processes was in your humanness, you're going to mess up. So the, the, the point of the whole thing seemed to be a continual reminder that God was in control, there's a way for every mess up to be healed, whether that's a mess up between humans or a mess up between God and human, or human and God in this case. And that, and that there's, there's been a way that's been set up. And I per, we've read enough of other texts that talk about, well, it's it's grace and mercy, it's faith, there's forgiveness, there's justification. So why all this process? And so, yes, yes, I do think that God is a God of order, but I think that the reason for the order is not to please God, but to bring humans into alignment with the way God thinks. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I've never, I don't know if there's ever a time in the Bible where I see that God just wants us to make him happy it, we it's not like we're appeasing an angry god you know we don't have to throw the virgin in the in the volcano 
to 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 appease an angry God, and I know that's a stereotype, and I guess forgive me for that one, but but you know what but, I'm you know what I'm a, saying. To a lot of people, Matt, to a lot of people, bringing a perfect animal and cutting its throat is right up there with throwing a virgin into a volcano. It's just as arbitrary. It's just as pointless. And how on earth is this connected to the result that it says will re- will be the result? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So yeah. So when I was reading it, I was looking for. Like I was kind of looking for, like, what actually is this? What does it do? And I ended up thinking that it's just simply to bring humans into God's sphere of thinking. Yeah. Through through a, an orderly process. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But but yeah, yeah if you're not, if you're not in that process, you're going to look at it and it's going to look weird and cruel and arbitrary. Mm-hmm. You know, but I also think there's a a sense of of recognition as well as a little bit of loss too because yes my thing is at first i thought you know i was with the premise that matt had that you took your offering you just basically gave it to the priest and he did all of this but in reading that first part you had to get your hands dirty you had to feel that sense of loss as well and i think that's why they had to carry out some of the 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 sacrifice parts now, you know, then you handed it to the priest and he, you know, split the bird. He took the parts and pieces and washed them or put them on the altar. But I think you had to be part of that sense of loss and what the cost of, of sin was by actually getting your hands dirty. And I think along with the grain offerings, I think you still had to, you know, because to me, it kind of came along with the first fruits that you were still giving part of this you know, sustenance that you had for your family, you had to give it to be offered. So there was that sense of, okay, now I have to give, you know, the first fruits and, and that kind of thing. And it had to be something that I felt as a loss, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, absolutely. It, it didn't seem to specify this with the grain offering that like other times it's, it's you know, some of the offerings are called specifically a uh, free will offering. It doesn't specify that here, but it also doesn't specify, it doesn't seem to specify that they had to do this. It's, it kind of seemed like if you do it. So I'm not sure if this is a free will offering or if it's required, but nevertheless, when they did it, they were supposed to do it in a certain way. Now, they didn't just like show up with, with grain. They had to, they were supposed to present this as a fine flour it was mm-hmm. with oil and frankincense added to it. So there was some salt. preparation. Oh yeah, right, and salt. Salt. Um, mm-hmm. Salt so there was some... to represent the covenant of the Lord. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I remember yeah. read. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was almost like a bread. You yeah. took this, you ground it up, you cooked it with fine oil, you added the salt, then you brought it or um, you baked it. Then they did the process on it as well. So I, I took it as like a, almost like a bread. Yeah, 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 and some of these things, that's, I mean, with a careful reading, and I don't think it's important that we break down in every occasion which was the particular outcome, but sometimes they were to be, be eaten by the priest. Mm-hmm. Sometimes part of it was burnt and part of it was eaten. Sometimes all of it was burnt. Um, some of Sometimes, I, we haven't gotten to it here, I don't think, in the first seven chapters, but maybe we did. Is that sometimes it's to be eaten by the um, part of it's to be eaten by the priest, and some of it's part of it's to be eaten by the family. Yes, yep. it sacrifices it. So it's 
it's the family then partakes in the whole ceremony and also it is it's a uh, it's here's my offering but then they get it back in the sense of they get to uh they get to partake in that um, so th- that varies depending on and i think if we jump forward too and you look at um eli's sons that that was their that was yes. some of their crimes that that they were already divvying up the meat and getting fine fine pieces of meat before it was even offered to god yeah. right and there's yeah there's some other stuff there that they were supposed to be just randomly sticking their fork into the pot but they weren't doing that they, right so it goes to your point is that god said look here's how i want you to do things and then when whenever people came up and said well that's nice and everything but what about if we did this right and in no case does that show up to be okay yeah, and this was one of those times when the priest would get a portion of the offering for himself. In fact, it seemed like the priest would get the majority of this one because yeah. whatever was offered to them, they would take one handful of this stuff and and toss it into the fire to be burned. And then the priest would get the rest of it. Now, I talked about no leaven in this, no yeast or honey. We've talked about you know leaven. This is supposed to be from your first fruits. So this is... One of the first things that you would take out, I guess we would, these days, we'd consider, we'd put that into the realm of tithe, where you take something off the top of whatever you've produced and offer that. Then the priests, in you get into chapter 6 again, they would have their own version of this one, where they would, when they would make a grain offering, they would end up burning the entire offering, half of it in the morning, half in the evening. And they weren't supposed to eat anything of what they offered themselves. I, I did. I, I kind of thought that was interesting. That salt of the covenant, that was, Karen. You pointed that out, and I thought that was yeah. an interesting thing to there too. And it's I wondered like, if that don't was forget it. Yeah, don't forget it. And I was wondering if there was correlation there with. I wrote down Matthew five thirteen, and Mark nine fifty. So let me. It's a common. It's a they're common enough. Um, Matthew five thirteen. That sounds like the Sermon on the Mount. Five thirteen. Matthew five thirteen was, "You are the salt of the earth, uh, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Is it then good for nothing, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men?" And then Mark nine fifty was similar. You know, referring to me, uh, humans as being the salt of the earth. That was. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. So I was wondering if there's a correlation between those two of adding that salt into into your offering and then us being the salt. No. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, just, it seemed to me that there's probably there could be some correlation there. Maybe making sure to put a little bit of yourself into the offering. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could be. And it's, 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 let's not forget that some of these things were not cheap. Some of these mm-hmm. spices and so on and salt today. I mean, I've driven outside the Great Salt Lake, uh, outside in Utah, and there are piles of salt. Oh, I don't know, five, six stories tall, you know, and as wide as a full length, a hundred train cars long. So salt to us is cheap. It's just really, it's not a thing at all to just throw a handful of salt into something. But in their day and age, 
salt was uh, not as easy and cheap to come by. And it made a difference in the food. Mm -hmm. So, you know, well, it's like, what's the phrase worth, worth your weight in salt? You know, that comes from back when was it the century Roman centurions would be paid in salt? The salary. Yeah. Oh, hey, I learned something. Thanks, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into three. Um, Yeah. We've we've got some interesting thing. Again, we have a different type of offering. It's called uh, mine in the uh, uh, English standard version is called peace offerings. But again, it doesn't really specify under what circumstances you offer it. But it's it's interesting. We in three and in seven, we have a lot of echoes of the same thing, which we talked about before. What's going to happen through Leviticus mm-hmm. is that in verse sixteen, all the fat is the Lord's. Mm-hmm. And it says it again in chapter 7, pretty explicitly. And also the um, the statute, no fat or blood. And they kind of make a big deal about the blood. And remember we talked about this in Genesis, that the lifeblood will be required from every person and every animal. That God takes this really seriously, whether this is an animal that's slaughtered for food or whether it has to do with crimes, it's a big deal. It's not to be just overlooked. We've talked a lot about, um, you know, maybe there's things that, like back then, that had meaning that we don't understand. Maybe it's symbolic. Maybe it's not. But here, I I just got really interested. I don't know why in the blood. I wondered, like, well, what would happen if they did? If they just drank blood? Because I've heard of various ritual, you know, places drinking blood and. Stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So I lo- decided to look it up. And there's this thing that's a thing, not just then, but now. It's called hemochromatosis. <laughs> and if mm. if you, a person ingests more than the amount of blood that's in a rare steak, roughly, if you mm. ingest more raw blood than that, the results of heart disease, liver disease, diabetes... And interestingly, iron toxicity, because the, the our system isn't made to process the iron in blood in that way. It's like it has some pretty nasty stuff. Plus, if blood is left around for any period of time, apparently that's one of the biological substrates that's the most prone to bacterial growth. And so it has some, you can eat, I didn't know this, you can even get an STD from raw blood. Mm. I suppose. Yeah. Well, yeah, all these things, I was just like, wow, that's, and you know, let's, let's not forget, this is interesting. Of all the things that in the New Testament they said, well, how much of this Jewish stuff do we do? They were discussing um, um, uh, circumcision yeah. and the Gentiles. In Acts 15, 19 to 21, forbidding the blood was one of the very few things that they said, mm-hmm. yet still don't do that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like that survived all the way through the, I mean, there are a lot of Christians, um, evangelical Christians who will be like, ah, everything that you read before the book of Matthew 1, that's all done and gone. Forget about it. No, actually not all of it. And this is an interesting one of those things that was absolutely explicitly retained. And so I just thought um, that was 
and, and blood is is a big deal. It's splashed on the it's splashed on the side of the altar, and some of it is taken into the tabernacle and put on the horns of the um, the altar of incense. And remember, we talked about it earlier. It was put on their right thumb and on the right ear and on the right toe. It's kind of like this blood is almost like a tracking device. You know, it, it's like an RFID tag. It's like blood. God tracks it. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a big deal how we treat it. And I just thought that this was a really interesting, just, I don't know if it's a side note, but it's, a, um, it has real implications for us. Mm -hmm. And I, and I wonder too about the fat of the animals because it was, a, I mean, it's pretty explicit here is that the fat gets burned. Right. You know, it, it just, and, and, and these days I hear like, oh, that's a great cut of meat. Look at all that fat in that. Right. Mm -hmm. And according that, to what we're reading here, that was like, no, nah, that's that's now granted. I don't hear a lot of people saying I can't wait to eat those fatty kidneys. I don't hear a lot of that. And if you <laughs> do, please don't tell me about it. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but it's, just, it's an interesting thing that that, um, that those things are set aside and they're not for us. So, right. so the vis visceral fat, like the fat that grows in and around, you know, around the organs like that, in, I mean, historically that's been used, it's been boiled down and used to make uh, soap and candles. Which is allowed. In, yeah. in seven, it says you can use this for other stuff. Yeah. You just but I'm can't... just saying that's typically, that's not the same thing as the, the veins of fat that occur in oh, a good muscle point. group. Yeah. Okay. It's, I don't. Apparently, different. I don't eat enough meat to uh, to be very well versed in this. So maybe I better shut up. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it seemed to me like this was very specific parts of the fat. It is. Or, it's you know, kidneys, yeah. liver. I mean, mm -hmm. and how many times did we read the long lobe of the liver? Yeah. <laughs> it didn't seem like it's specifically talking about like marbling in a piece of meat. More that yeah. it's talking about very specific yes. bits of fat taken out. Okay, um, I stand corrected there. That at least that's my take on it. No, I but think you're that, right. It's when you get to 7, and it talks about chapter 7, verse 24, the fat of an animal that dies naturally and the fat of what is torn by wild beasts may be used in any other way, but you shall by no means eat it. So it's almost like it's taking that fat and saying, don't eat that fat. Of, well, first of all, I don't think they were supposed to eat an animal that died. Yeah, that's uh, manner of death. Uh, uh, that's yeah. Right. So that's from death. manner of death. But that's like that saying, okay, you could still use that fat. But don't use any of that for anything else. But it's almost—I I didn't take that as being like never eat any fat at all. But specifically, don't eat this fat that you would normally take out for this offering, and definitely don't eat that fat if you—if it's from an animal that was killed by another animal or that you just found dead. Right, because they weren't allowed to sacrifice those animals. So that's yeah. so it's kind of yeah. like well, if you found an animal dead, it's like well, what can we do with this? You can't sacrifice yeah. it. Yeah. So offering that fat to God was off the table. That wasn't an option. And so it's like, well, and what can if, we do with it? If we look forward to the uh, internal organ meats weren't supposed to be eaten at all. Mm. Yeah. Well, they're kind yeah. of gross. The liver, <laughs> yeah. the kidneys, that kind of thing, yeah. intestines. Well, and now was... we know that there's like there's those are where those those are where the toxins are concentrated, yeah. and that's, yeah. that's, that's fairly <laughs> literal, common. Should I say biological? It's like there's a good reason not to. Yeah. So, 
Um, I lived in Alaska for a long time, and one of the things that's interesting up there is there's a, there's a lot of wild animals, and they're large animals, and they're meat animals, and um, they get hit on the roads. You know, they'll they'll get sick in the woods and die, or they'll get they'll get hit and they'll be roadkill, and that's a lot of. I mean, that's so many hundreds of pounds of animal that has to be taken away and disposed of, and they have different. So the Alaska State Troopers, there's there's a rule that if they show up, if they get a call for that there's been, a, say, somebody hit a moose and they get out there, if the moose is still alive, but like it's got a broken leg or something and it's never going to live in the wild, they kill it immediately and they call and they, they call the food bank. And there's there's slaughter companies that do, you know, donate their work to the food bank. And then it's provided to people who can't, that meat is provided to people who can't afford their own or to the homeless shelters and things like that. But if the animal's already dead, when it gets there, either from injuries or from unknown, you know, it could have been sick, who knows. If it's already dead when the Alaska State Trooper arrives at the scene, then it's not used. So so the process of the process of dying naturally does things. It does things to the tissue that you that humans don't want to eat. You know, we shouldn't be eating that. But if, you know, but if it's, if you, if you kill it and, and the death is sudden, then it's not so, not so bad. Like you can eat that. Right. So I kind of heard when I was reading through some of this stuff, I was thinking, oh yeah, that reminds me of these rules that they have in place for when, when can road kill that isn't dead yet? When can, when can road injury animals be used? Right. Chapter seven actually kind of mentions that a little bit about how how long after offering do your offering can you be eating it? Yeah. And the answer yeah. is second day. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, before we move on to the next one related to this peace offering, still, the, this is one of the ones that the priest would get to eat some of. Now, verse 20, was it 20 or 21, 20 of chapter seven. This is in relation to the peace offering. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, while he is unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. I was trying to determine, did eating the sacrifice make the priest unclean? Or is this in relation to what was going on right before it, where it's it's talking about the the flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten? It shall be so. If you eat that unclean thing, okay, that's obvious. You become unclean, and we'll get into some of those laws later on. But it's like the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice. Well, if you're sacrificing that, that is not unclean. But then, while he is unclean, he should be cut off from his people. I was trying to determine if if the sacrifice was somehow transferring something symbolically, maybe to to the priest, but this is the peace offering. This is the, the other way. Offering. I think it's the other way, Matt. Is it saying if you are coming to offer a sacrifice, you can't be in an unclean state? Gotcha. That does make more. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. So it's it's in twenty. Um, but if a person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings while the uncleanness is on him, I think, I think what that goes to is that you. A person needs to be in the right frame of mind. The, yeah, okay. yeah. Thank you. Is that there, that there is a that there is a uh, place of of um, 
And in this case, in their in their day, it was a, a set of rules. It's like, look, you can't have touched this. You can't have been there. You can't have done these other things. Basically, it was to say, when you come before God, you need to get your head straight. You know, that this is, he will talk to you and he will accept you. And we, and remember, this is all through grace, because as we go back to the Garden of Eden, um, and as we look in Romans and so on like this, the wages of sin is death. Like, really, they were all supposed to die. Mm-hmm. That's what the, that's what the price is. And that's why God says, you know, look, I redeemed you. I redeemed the firstborn. Not only did I redeem you in Genesis, but I redeemed you out of Egypt. And so all the firstborn are mine. Um, I'll let you, quote, buy them back, redeem them back. But they're, they're all mine. And so when we're talking about all of these sacrifices, these are things all offered by grace. Because really offering whether it was a bull or a lamb or a goat all of these fall short of what the rules of the universe would call for which is the death of the sinner and that's that's kind of what i was getting at earlier when i was talking about like i ended up thinking that all of this procedure all of this order and you will do this and then you will do this and here is how you will do it and here is when you will do it i ended up thinking that that was to to bring the human into frame of mind to approach the throne. Like that's, that was like the big thing that I got out of all seven of these chapters. Yeah. 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 Now that I'm rereading that in the context better, I I see it. I think it was my failure of understanding the new, the way it was written in the new King James, maybe a little better. I was, I was separate, making a separation when I shouldn't have, but it's not that these aren't a little bit, (laughs) you know, as we get into into, into some of this. So, oh, but before I, um, before we forget about the blood thing, because I want to go on to some things in chapter five and six, which we're looking at our time here, that mm-hmm. is that the idea of not actually taking in raw blood has some pretty interesting implications when it comes to transubstantiation in the, oh, in the, um, New Testament adoption of the, uh, the rites of the Last Supper is that this would have been absolutely, totally, and completely outside of bounds for even the New Testament Christians, because they were told, don't have blood. That's not a thing that you have. And, and again, that, that, sir, that's, that uh, goes past where the, um, there's like, ah, that was Old Testament. It's like, now go back to Acts 15. That was one of the explicit things that were said, nope. This does not happen among Christian believers. And it was an interesting thing because in the first century, there were people who started rumors, uh, untrue rumors and allegations that the early Christians were cannibals, that they were eating humans. And they were like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is symbolic of Mm -hmm. these things. And so this idea that all of these, both New Testament and Old Testament, are symbolic is an important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Chapter four, the sin offering. So now this is separate. This is something different from the burnt offering. But it seems that perhaps the sin offering is specifically for unintentional sin, where you realize later that you did something. You didn't maybe realize it at the time, but then it's brought to your attention later. And you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. So now I'm going to find forgiveness for that. Yeah. I think that's the difference between the burnt offering and the sin offering. Both, I believe, are presented for the forgiveness of sin, 
But one is for when you deliberately did something, and we all know that we sometimes deliberately sin. And then there's times when you unintentionally sin. Now, I thought that the idea of an un- unintentional sin was interesting because a lot of times, you know, we're like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. And we kind of just expect people to just just let things go. But to God, an unintentional sin is still a serious thing and still requires some kind of atonement for us. Why did you think that is? Because in my mind, I guess where I'm going with that is that sin is destructive in any form. And we have to understand that sin is not necessarily being naughty, so to speak, but sin more... Um, actually, if you look into the word of the, that, that, that the Hebrews used for sin, I believe it was kata, and it really, what the word means is missing the mark. So it's like just falling a little bit short. If that's what sin is, more than doing bad things, you just don't quite... You don't just you just don't quite make it to where God intends you to be, and that puts a completely different connotation on the idea of sin. Do you take it that yeah. way? Yeah, the, I think chapter six, verse one answers that question. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, "If anyone sins and commits a same thing, sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord." Mm-hmm. So really, sins. Are, they can be against our neighbor, but they're actually done against the Lord. So there's mm-hmm. there's two parties in this, and the Lord is the first. And I think that that's interesting that Joseph says this when he's tempted, remember? He says by Potiphar's wife, says, how could I do this thing and sin against the Lord? And the prodigal son says the same thing. You know, when he brings his forgiveness speech back to his father, he says, I've sinned be- against the Lord and before you. Yeah. And so these sins, whether we know them or not, it's kind of like if I, I mean, I've done this as a kid, as I was just walking through somebody's garden. Like, I didn't know. But the fact is, is that my footprints were, you know, Mm -hmm. it flattened out their spinach, whether I knew it or not. The spinach is flat. And so there's a result of what I did, whether it was intentional or unintentional, there were still results. Right. So that's where I that's what I got out of four. And I think it's interesting that in 413, there is such a thing as a group sin. I mean, you've got the whole if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally. So is it possible that not only individually we can be, you know, receiving the results of sins, but as an entire group? Apparently, yes. And we see this thing about you know, whole generations being receiving punishment. And, you know, we've got Israel that goes into captivity later. Obviously, there were some there were some righteous people because we've got Daniel and his three friends. But nonetheless, they fall under judgment of the whole nation. And so in the West, we have this idea that everybody is responsible only for themselves and there is no societal responsibility or guilt whatsoever. It's I didn't do it and therefore it didn't exist beyond Mm -hmm. me and well the the, god does not seem to share that western sentiment it's like yeah you as a people can have done something wrong as a people and it's still wrong even though you personally maybe didn't do it Mm, yeah it's a timely topic 
Yeah, it, it is a timely topic, and I've appreciated as I've been. I, I thought of that too as I was reading through this, and it reminded me of what we read. Like I don't remember if it was last week or the week before. I think it was the week before because I think you were in on it, Eric. Where Moses makes himself like he says, he says, "Well, punish me," you know, "punish me," and God says, "No, I'll I'll punish the person who does wrong." See, mm. so it's like there's room for both. Like God's oh, yeah. just he's so he's so fully capable of the full spectrum of I'm handling you as a group and I'm handling you as individuals. And I just think that's phenomenal. You know, mm-hmm. and I think we see that all throughout Exodus, though, you know, as them wandering through the through the desert to get to Canaan is that they are they're being judged on both. Yeah. And, you know, and when the, the group breaks away and makes idols and stuff like that they get punished yeah you get punished as a group yeah and And i think your point is god says that they're not he's not going to dwell with them you know because of his anger towards them as a group but you know not everybody partook in it but they're all going to pay yeah and so i think to karen's point is it's both is it's not just does the individual pay because yes and it's not just that the group um pays because yes it's and and we're seeing that i mean we're seeing that i mean even our puny little human minds we look around at each other and you see and you see this argument going on right now it's like i can too judge your entire group for the trends that i see in the group without bothering to judge the individual and then other people are like no 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 only the individual right and it's like it's actually both, right? And so yeah. this is the source of so much societal contention right now. And so even we puny little humans need to get our brains around this because both matter. And yeah. to, I mean, to, to my way of thinking, a completely collectivist society is going to have sort of one set of weaknesses and flaws. And a completely individual society is going to have a completely different set of weaknesses and flaws. If you don't find a balance of both, and it's freaking hard. If you don't find a balance for both, man, you're you're just going to end up with like these singular points of view that just start, they're just not comprehensive enough. They're just not correct. Okay. So chapter five, we can come back to four if we want. But talk, while we're on that topic, verse one of chapter five kind of hints at an interesting thing. <laughs> if anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, basically like, hey, did anybody see anything? Uh, are there any witnesses to this? And that's what's happening. So if there's a, a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, it's basically like, did you know it or did you not know it? Okay, right. at this point, if you know it, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Yeah. And, and we've kind of gotten to your point, Karen, uh, I think, about our individualism. It's like, well, look, I didn't do it. Yeah. And therefore, I don't have to participate in this, um, in this thing at all. And, and in these Levitical laws, it's like, yeah, actually, you do. If you, saw the wrong, wrong, if you saw the wrong thing happen and you don't testify against it, even though you didn't do the wrong thing, if you don't testify and speak up against it, you're guilty. Yeah. And I've appreciated the the sort of balance point between like when I think of the Ten Commandments, they are mostly don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do. Right. But then you get to the New Testament, you get to James and James, 
he takes this stance against passivity. And he says, right. if you know, if you know that you should do something and you don't, that is sin to you. Yes. And it's like, mm, okay, so that makes me go back to the Ten Commandments and say, what are the do's here? Like, what am I supposed to do? Not just where are my outer limits of behavior, but what am I supposed to do to put myself on the path to where this happens? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's, there's, there is a lot of, um, yes, if we look at the Ten Commandments, as Jesus say, the premise of the whole Ten Commandments, everything hangs on these, yeah. is, is loving your neighbor and loving God. And we've come across this too. Earlier, I remember we talked about it, like, look, hey, if you find a donkey of a person you don't even like and he's struggling under the load, you have an obligation to do something. Yep. And so we have this um, this obligation. Before we leave five, is I think in verse four, it's interesting. There is apparently a release from a rash oath. We see this come up later with this guy called mm. Jephthah. And there are other people who make rash oaths. Is that this is one of, I think, several places where God says, if you just go ahead and say something rash, there's a way to basically take it back. And, yeah. and elsewhere in our reading here, it says if you, that's a different thing. But anyways, I think this is just a, um, an interesting thing about if you, if your mouth runs before your brain does, there's a way to reel that back in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and I brought that up, you know, several times through things we've read already, just about the idea of making an oath quickly, making a promise quickly or, you know, doing anything, saying anything before you've really stopped to think about it and, and the consequences of it. Yeah, so that, chapter 5, that's all about the trespass offering. So that's for dealing with guilt from all kinds of actions. And again, even if you're unaware of it, if it's brought to your attention, then you're supposed to uh, first confess your sin, and then you would offer a lamb or, or a, a kid, which is a, a, a young goat, uh, or turtle doves, if you or pigeons, if you couldn't afford the uh, the livestock, you throw in a little flour with it. Oh, if you yeah, and here this one I kind of like because even if you can't even afford the birds, then you can just offer some flour. Yeah. This one is like we God really wants you to be able to get the forgiveness for this one. It seemed to me like there's just a little bit of extra. Okay, if you can't afford that, then do this. If you can't afford that, okay, do this. If you can't afford that, then do this. I would, I, I would go back and revisit what you just said there, getting the forgiveness, because I would, I would say that if the, if this quote unquote, you know, the price for a sin offering, the sin price was too high, then it would, it would leave room for humans to justify not doing it. And mm -hmm. the forgiveness for sin is available to everyone if they approach. And so to me, this leaves this widens the road of approach so that everyone fits on it. Absolutely. And so, and listen, and so it gets you it gets you out of your own way because if you're gonna if you're gonna find ways, I mean everybody I mean these these people, everybody have flour. So mm -hmm. yeah. anyway, that's kind of the way I Yeah, you could make it out of mana, that was free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Isn't that interesting? So, so literally there's there's no so this, let's not forget about it, that the ultimate price actually was your blood. Yes. And really, that was the sin price, right? Yes. And so all of these other things are basically the discount. It's like, well, do you want 50% off? That's a bull. 
you know you can't afford that, 75% off. Bring a lamb or a, or a goat. Oh, you're too poor for that? 90% off, you know, bring a bird. If you're really that poor, it's like, okay, well, then you can just go out and get some manna that was free and grind it up and make good flour and bring that. The point here, I think, is taking responsibility yes. for, and, and saying, you know what? I did wrong. Because that is so important. I was discussing this with somebody just, just this week saying, you know, man, there is somebody that I would like to work with, but I do know that something in their life that they have done, they won't admit it. They will not admit wrong. They will not stand up and say, that was me. That was my bad. I need to fix that. They, they'll take no responsibility for it. And as I look at that, I think, how could I hire somebody who essentially says, I'm not going to take responsibility for my actions? The, the answer is, I won't. And I think God is asking us to take responsibility for what we have done. Because really, it's not about the price, as, as we've talked about, because it's, it's really, it's amazing. It's an amazing step down that God has for us mm -hmm. uh, economically. But he wants us, I believe, to, to uh, take responsibility, step up and say, yeah, that was me. I recognize that there's a problem. Yeah. I think to, to build on that, too, I think it's you know, like what we were saying in the beginning. It's that accountability as well as a responsibility. And I think that that kind of plays together with being involved in the whole process that says, you know what, even from the richest down to the poorest, there is a certain amount of, like Eric is saying, responsibility. But you have to be accountable to it. No matter what you have, you're willing to give. At the end of five, there's a specific part about offerings with restitution. And this seemed to be a specific, like, like when there's something, how did it put it? Sins unintentionally. If somebody sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, I didn't quite know what that meant, but it's like, yeah, I, I wasn't sure what, uh, I wasn't sure what that specifically meant, but it was obviously something that was, that was more, I guess, egregious, you could say. And required a little something extra, and then they would actually have to like pay a fine. Of um, how do they put it? Bring a ram, and then with your valuation in shekels of silver, plus plus one fifth of the value. So I don't know what I'm not sure what all that means, but there was this extra, there was this extra thing that had to be done in actually like bringing money this time. Any any insights to that? Any uh, did anybody come across anything with that before? Yeah, that's actually come up before, and it may again. Is those earlier, or maybe it's later? I, I don't know. That's um, if that was if somebody did something. Um, let's suppose they they took something from someone else. They not only did they have to repay the thing that they took, they had to add twenty percent to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, that also comes with um, some of these rash vows and stuff like this later is that if um, if you say something is like, oh, well, OK, I owed you a dollar. It's like, well, now I owe you a dollar twenty. Um, is, I, I don't know. But in other circumstances, it seems to be like, look, be careful about this, because it's it's not just you're going to have to pay what you had to pay anyways. Is this going to cost you more if you. Um, take this stuff lightly. 
In this particular case, I don't know if that applies. No. Yeah. So I just thought it was an interesting little thing, like, like you know, sometimes something is required, even just a little bit more from you. Now, chapter six goes into. We're still talking about trespass offering. This chapter six goes more specifically into. It's like if you lie about something. Well, and, and again, here we are with the same point of view. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, this is verse one, if anyone sins is, and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor. It's like, mm -hmm. uh-huh. And if you yeah. drop that farther, it does talk about the adding the 20% or the one-fifth. Yes. For swearing mm -hmm. falsehood, yeah. Mm -hmm. is it, and that's, just, oh, that's such a big, 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 big deal these days. It's I was talking with my wife about that, and she's very frustrated about... Um, some of the conspiracy theories that are floating around out there that are actually doing great harm in society. And my point was, look, the only reason that some of those have a, even a touch of credibility, I'm not saying they're true, is that there are real people who have blown their credibility and lied in the past. As they stood up with a straight face, they said, oh, no, I'm telling you the truth. And they were just flat out lying straight yeah. up. Yeah. And then that destroys now they in almost every case they get money as a result of that, right? Whether it's selling quack medicine stuff or you name it, it's like I'm going to do a conspiracy thing and you buy my book. Whatever it is, is that those people receive some compensation. But unfortunately what they also have done is they have sold everyone else's credibility along with it. And so now if you have a profession, and that's why they say, well, what professions, you know, are trustworthy is you because we this goes back to the in, judging the individual and judging the group is that there is such a thing as a group being judged by the individual mm -hmm. and throwing everybody under the bus. It's like, well, I heard a televangelist once, you know, say such and such and such, and they were just total crooks. Well, you know what? Maybe they were. Unfortunately. Mm -hmm. There are some people then who say, well, anybody who I see holding a Bible, I categorize them in the same way. Yeah. Mm. And well, that, yeah, that even goes back to, let's see, it was something in four that we, where we were Oh, it shows about. up over and over. Yeah, mm. but specifically about the priest. If the priest was, would commit a sin, it would make the entire camp guilty. And yeah. so similar thing here. So you're talking about these, these televangelists where they've given a bad name to Christians in general. They've got... They've got a heavy price on their head now for yep. what they've done. And this well, is and who is the guy? Who was the guy that took took stuff from Jericho? I know they haven't invaded Jericho yet, but when they did, oh, there yeah. was a guy that H took some Kenny. stuff and he and he buried it in his tent, and his whole family was killed because of that. Like his whole family bore the brunt of what he did. Mm -hmm. Taken. And so yeah. my point is this: is the yes, all those things is that telling the truth, sworn falsely, as it's put here in the ESV is a big deal. It's a really big deal. In our society today, telling a lie or an untruth or a, you know, it's a speculation, it's a theory, but I'm going to put it forward as truth. God does not wink at that. So there's this, there's this, there are these two texts in Jeremiah. There's two texts in Jeremiah that this is making me think of, and then there's a text in the New Testament. The ones in Jeremiah are right at the end of chapter 5, and it says, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy lies. 
The priests rule by their own authority, and my people love it this way. Mm. Right? So it starts with the people who are the mouthpiece. Mm. It trickles down to everybody because they're hearing what they want to hear, and they'll follow what they want to hear rather than digging deeper, right? And then Careful, what Karen, you're, you're of, talking about us now in society. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then there's this text in the New Testament that says that because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold, right? So what we're seeing are these, these individual weaknesses that become societal weaknesses that will bring about the end of the world. So there, that's the end of my speech. Yeah, so chapter chapter six, or that last part of chapter six, well, that first part of chapter six is all about trespass in the, just of being dishonest. So really pointing out dishonesty and don't, just don't do it. Dishonesty is just, it's just awful. Uh, so the rest of chapter six, we've pretty much covered by, you know, talking about the other things because it's all then, you know, first of it was, I want you to do this, and then the, it becomes... This is how I want you to do this. And it, it carries through chapter 7 all the way up through until we get to the portion of Aaron and his sons. And then, so like we've talked about, there's times when the, the priests would get portions of these of these sacrifices. And they would they would eat these sacrifices. They would be for them. There's even one point in, the, in our reading this week where they would get the hide of an animal yeah. to be able to use for themselves. I took this to be, um, you know, where the tribes were given their portions, their inheritance, I guess is the words that was used. This mm -hmm. is their inheritance. This is the inheritance yep. of the tribe of Levi. Yep. They get these things that get offered up, and this is how they would be supported. And I think keeping, so. And I, I think it's interesting keeping in mind that the priests were representing Christ as our high priest. So they're so when we're bringing these things to the priest, it's it's almost like they were saying that. Well, they didn't realize they were saying it, but this is like them saying we we are giving this to God directly, even though it was the priest who was like that intermediary there. I know we need to wind up, but I had two yeah. really quick things that that I had that I thought as I was reading this, and one was. Oh my goodness, what kind of laundry soap did these people use? Can you imagine the mess that was on those priests' clothing after all of that blood? Mm -hmm. Like, seriously. I yeah. can't even imagine what a day's work looked like. Yeah, there that was... Just, like, I'm an, I'm an animal lover, and that just... I feel mm -hmm. gutted when I think about this. Yeah, And then the other thing, and this really surprised me, because, Eric, you mentioned the yearly cleansing of the sanctuary, and I thought of that, too... Because I think of existing with sin as incompatible with God's presence. And yet, at the very end of Exodus, like the last couple of texts of Exodus, it said that the glory of God came down in a cloud and filled the tabernacle. And when the glory of the Lord was there, Moses couldn't even go into it. And so during the day, it was a cloud. And then at night, it was there was a presence of fire. So in spite of the fact that these sins were lim lingering symbolically, God's presence was still there. And I actually was surprised by that because I noticed the same thing as you. Like, oh, like these sins symbolically went from here to here and then from here to here. And then they lingered here until the yearly cleansing of the sanctuary. And yet, in spite of that symbolic presence, God was there. 
So that's pretty cool. And that was it. That was the end of my observations. Cool. That's all I have to say about that. No more thoughts. Okay. Well, our reading next week, obviously we'll start in chapter eight. And as I'm looking ahead, it's I'm wondering up through chapter 12 seems like it might be a good breaking point because after that it gets into a lot of talk about leprosy for several chapters and I don't want to break up that necessarily well keep in mind that you can reach us at ATTB podcast at theadventure.org remember that you can find us on Facebook at Adventure Through the Bible Please be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors. Help us to get the word out there. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast catching app. Well, we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. That could Hilariously, be. Well, I that's... can't turn on subtitles. Oh yeah, I'd like to see their software try to keep up with translating everybody talking. I should do that yeah. just for fun. Oh man, that's <laughs> probably, probably boot us right out of the system. <laughs> no, too much, too much. Oh, nice. The first one that came up is "I love you." Probably Buddhist right out of the system. Oh, too much, too much. Hmm, <laughs> 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 that's funny. Yeah, I'm going to have to turn off my captioning because it's going to be way too hilarious. I'm afraid. I'm looking at your face going, what is it saying we're saying? What's it? What if I say? Googly, googly. I love you, Buddhist. That was was pretty awesome. I love you, Buddhist. Welcome to Skype Translate.